Now, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you would please open with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. We're in our second week in the series, Hope in the Dark. Last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 and what it meant to have hope in the future and how those who do not have uh, a, a vision of the future or, or perceived future uh, are not able to live life the way that God has called us to live. Now today, um, some of you are probably expecting that we would be back in 1 Peter and we are not. Uh, the Lord has taken me to a new passage of scripture for this week. And so we are going to be covering Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23 is probably one of the most famous psalms in the entire Bible, and for good reason. The psalm has for centuries been a source of comfort and strength and hope for Christians around the globe. The very first funeral that I vividly remember was for my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. His name was Leonard Park, my mom's dad. He was a staple, a pillar in their church in Belding, uh, Belding Bible Church. He was a man that everybody in the community knew. He was devoted to God. And he, he had the first funeral that I vividly remember as a child. And as a kid, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the very first time that I saw my father cry. I remember following the funeral on that day in August. I was sitting on the floor in my grandmother's home right over here in Orleans, right off of 44. And I remember writing out Psalm chapter 23 on a piece of lined paper. When I got to college and I was in Bible college, I had the opportunity to preach my first funeral. It was a lady in our church in Florida and her favorite psalm was Psalm chapter 23. It had been a comfort to her when she lost her husband just a few years prior. And so it was just natural that I would preach on Psalm chapter 23 at her funeral. And then I remember while we were living in Florida at the same time that both of my dad's parents passed away back to back. And I was asked to preach just days after my grandmother passed away to preach at a school chapel near our church. And they wanted me to preach on Psalm chapter 23. I remember preparing that sermon and reflecting on God's grace in the middle of grief. And then I think about a church member, a friend of ours, whose name was Casey. And he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And within about 30 days of his diagnosis, they took him in for surgery to remove the cancer. And when they opened him up, they realized that the cancer had spread everywhere in his body. There was literally nothing they could do. And so they closed him back up. And when he woke up, they said, we're sorry, there's nothing else we can do for you except make you comfortable. Casey journaled in a booklet that we had given to him just a few days before he died. And I want to read to you what he wrote in his journal. He says, I was diagnosed with stomach cancer, and now they say it has spread to my liver and my lymph nodes and my lungs. 
If I didn't know the Lord, I would probably be scared. But instead, I have such peace. He said, Psalm 23 sums it up for me. So what is it about Psalm 23? What is it about this short chapter in the Old Testament that brings such peace and hope and strength and sustenance throughout generation after generation of God's people in history? And I want to meditate on this short chapter and the abbreviated time that we have left. So if you would please look at verse number one. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Man, and this is a great part of this chapter. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Amen, church? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And such a wonderful promise here at the end. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now in this moment with just a little bit of time left. And I pray, God, right now in these next few moments as we meditate upon these six verses together that you would speak powerfully and supernaturally to us. That, that God, we might experience the peace and the strength and the, the hope that your people have experienced literally for centuries through this portion of scripture. I pray that, that some here today might experience new life in you, Jesus. And it is in Jesus' precious and holy name that I pray. Amen and amen. I want everybody in here for just a moment to join me in doing something. Today is going to be a Sunday preached unlike anything that I have ever preached in my life. Because I believe that God is calling us to do something a little bit differently here today. On this specific Sunday. And so I want everybody in this room and those online. From the youngest to the oldest. If you've been a Christian in church for decades. Or if this is the first time you've ever stepped foot into a church building. I invite you to take the next 30 seconds. 30 seconds. And I want you to reread those six verses in just a moment. Wait till I tell you to start. And I want you to notice anything that sticks out to you in this portion of Scripture. Does anything repeat? Are there words or phrases that God highlights and illuminates for you as you read this? Does this psalm develop? What does it teach you about God or about yourself? So take the next 30 seconds and I want you to read it, and then I'm going to read it again out loud. There's so many things here that I want us to not miss. So go ahead and, and take the next 30 seconds. Just please read to yourself.
the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to look at the very start of verse number one. It says, the Lord. And I hope in your Bible you see and recognize that the term the Lord is capitalized. The term the Lord. This is the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. The one who always was and is and always will be, just like we were singing in that song a few moments ago. The God over all of the universe. King David, who is the writer of this particular chapter in the book of Psalms, says that God is my shepherd. You know, I think for the rest of this time, we could spend looking at those two words my shepherd, for the entire rest of today. Why? Because we all need to understand in this life what it means when we say, my shepherd, my shepherd. Did you notice how often these six verses use first person pronouns? I, me, my. I want to go back through this and I want, I want to count them out with you. You're like, pastor, is this necessary? It is. It's absolutely necessary. So let's do this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's five already. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort who? Me. That's ten. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Seventeen times. David uses a personal pronoun, and the point is clear, church. David is saying, the Lord is not just a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's personal to David. The immediate response in our heads comes to this question. And every single one of you in here, any person watching this online now or who will into the future needs to ask this question and answer it. Do you know God like this? Do you know God as your shepherd? Right now where you are sitting, do you know him personally? Because God wants to be the shepherd of your life. 
Do you know that the good news of Psalm 23 is that you can know God this way? You can. And not only can you and I know him in this way, but God wants you to know him like this. He wants you to experience him as the good shepherd, as the shepherd of your life now and forever. And so you may be sitting in here and you're like, well, what does that even mean, Pastor? What does it mean for, for us to experience God as a shepherd? Well, obviously, we're at a disadvantage in here this morning because very few, if any of us at all, are shepherds with real sheep. Is there anybody in here that has sheep outside of my family? Anybody? Yeah, so one, one other person. So most of us probably don't even really know what a shepherd does, and so we have this idea that's floating in our head of something that was depicted with Charlton Heston from the 70s, or, or we have some depiction of what we saw in a picture book as a child, or something that we were taught in Sunday school, but, but not many of us have something concrete in our mind about what a shepherd actually does, and there's good news for the non-shepherds in here this morning. There's great news. Why? Because this psalm, these six verses, they list out everything that God does for us as a shepherd. They list everything out for us. And David says the Lord does these things for us because he is a shepherd. So I want you to look back with me at verse number one. And I'm going to start breaking down for you the benefits of the good shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is that the Lord satisfies us. The Lord satisfies us. I shall not want here in the text. In the original Hebrew means I shall not be lack of anything. I shall lack nothing in this life. Obviously, it does not mean that God is going to give me everything that I want, okay? God's not going to give you everything that you want. Unfortunately, there is a movement that's been in this culture for far too long called the Word of Faith movement that says if we speak it, it's going to happen exactly how I want it and where I want it and when I want it to happen, and that is false, that is not godly. That is not God is not my genie. I don't get three wishes, and they're not a car, a million dollars, and a, a huge mansion that I get to live in with no trouble for the rest of my life. That's not what God's word tells us. In fact, after 1 Peter last week, we should all realize that trials come purposefully in the life of a believer. It, it allows for others to know that we are a part of the family of God. And as much as we are partakers in the sufferings of Christ, is what Peter said. And so, church, it would not be good for God to give you and I everything that we want. Just like it's not good for my wife and I to give our children everything that they want. Why? Because not everything is good for them. Not everything is good. Think about the context of what David is saying. David is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he's in the presence of his enemies. Man. How many of you are walking through what seems to be like the valley of the shadow of death? Yeah. I've had conversation after conversation after conversation for the last several weeks of so many people here in this church that are walking through marital problems that are walking through physical health problems, that are walking through pain and suffering, some of which I can barely even fathom what they're walking through. 
when you and I are walking through a difficult day or days or difficult weeks or months, it's because you and I are lacking something. When you walk through grief, it's because you lack fellowship with the person that you love. When you're walking through a disease or a sickness, it's because you are lacking good health. When you walk through difficulty in your marriage, in your family, it's because you lack what you once had or what you always wanted to have. Suffering in this life is associated with lacking something. You know, I often think about, and I, I have in the last 15 months since my cancer diagnosis, I have read through the book of Job at least a dozen times. And I think about Job often and what he said right out of the gate in Job chapter 1 when he said, The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. He gave and he taketh away. Job was lacking something. So how can David say that he is not in lack of anything. How? And I think that's the beauty of Psalm chapter 23 and what it's trying to teach us this morning. That even when the Lord takes away, he never stops giving. Amen, church? When the Lord takes away, he never stops giving, even, even in the midst of our pain and loss. When we're lacking someone or something amidst the difficulties of this life, even in the moments when pain has completely and utterly pierced your heart, in those moments, the peace that God gives is the most real and it's the most needed. When When you're at the end of yourself and you don't know if you can go on, you don't know if you can make it through the next 30 minutes of your day, and God speaks and says, when you are weak, I am strong. Your shepherd never stops giving and will never stop giving. So that you and I can say, I shall not want. I want you to keep reading with me. He says, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. And so the second thing I want us to see here in the text is that the Lord gives us rest. Man, any of you exhausted in here this morning? We're the beginning of March and it feels like we're already six months into 2023. He makes you and I lie down in green pastures. Pastor, what does that mean? It means that God calms your anxious soul. How many of you in here, and, and this is a rhetorical question, please don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody because I know that this can be embarrassing for some, for some, but how many of you in here struggle with anxiety or depression on some level in this life? And we could talk all day long about our need for rest, but the picture here is the Lord is your shepherd and he wants to replace your anxiety and your depression with his peace. 
So what does that mean for him to, to be a shepherd? Because in the New Testament, Paul expressed the peace that God can give in probably one of my favorite portions of Scripture, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in, not for, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. But what happens? What happens when we seek God through prayer? He says, in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, what does it do? It guards your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And so what is the peace of God this morning? What is the peace of God? Because Paul is telling me that the peace of God is beyond all of my mind. It's beyond the power of our thinking. It's, it's bigger and greater than just thinking something positive in this life. Charles Spurgeon said this of the peace of God. It is the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contended God. The eternal composure. So the peace of God isn't that it is senseless and therefore it's impossible to understand. The peace of God is just beyond our ability to understand. It's beyond our ability to explain. I was telling the prayer team this morning that it's hard to explain the peace of God, but when you experience it in this life, you know that it's God. You know that it's God in this life. Do you know even the godly man cannot comprehend the infinite peace of God. When, when people seem to lose their, their heart in their mind in this life, it's often connected to the absence of God's peace and presence in their life. For those of you who have been here for the full two years that I have been here as the pastor, you, you remember, or at least I would hope you would remember, uh, early on when I was here, I shared with the church about how when I was a child I struggled severely with anxiety severely um, I was a young child and I constantly worried about things that I did not have to worry about I, I wanted to control all of the situations it got so bad in my life that I was seeing physical repercussions of the anxiety that I had to deal with my nose would bleed profusely because my anxiety would cause my blood pressure to go up. And it would skyrocket and my nose would just bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed. And I would have to tell my parents all the time it would happen in school. It would happen at home. It would, it would happen when I would ride in the car for too long. And all of these things would flood into my mind. What happens if we get in a car accident? What happens if mom and dad dies? Who's going to take care of us? Who's going to take care of my little sisters? Who's going to make sure we get to school? Where's our next meal going to come from? Who's going to take care of the bills? I was nine. I was nine years old when I began to have overwhelming and detrimental thoughts in this life. Thoughts that brought so much anxiety. So much anxiety. I lost my mind. I lost my heart. And at times, I almost lost my will to even get up some mornings and do what I needed to do as a child to get ready for school, to eat breakfast, to do my chores. It was an absence of the peace of God 
and the presence of God in my life. And a pastor that I didn't want to meet with, that was my grandparents' age, I was a teenager, heavily medicated, felt like a zombie. And he sat and started reading to me Philippians chapter 4. And I got to the place in my life where Paul began to resonate in, in me. Be anxious for nothing, yes. Let the peace that surpasses all understanding guard my heart and mind, yes. But how? I'm a puzzle guy. I have to figure it out. And so church, how? How does that happen? How does the peace of God that surpasses all under, how does it guard my heart and my mind? Right? Culture says, think positive, live positive. But the word of God says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever are the things of good report, if there are any that are virtuous, if they are praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul's list are the things that we should meditate on, and that meditation should translate well into the life of a believer. If we look at that list in Philippians chapter 4, the original Greek words are very closely linked to our English words, and so there is no need for us to elaborate upon what those words truly mean. Paul says to us that these are the fruit and the food of the mind that is guarded by the peace of God. So when we put these good things into our mind, they stay in our mind and then they come forth from us. You know, much of the Christian life comes down to the mind. Why do you think a part of the armor was the helmet of salvation? The piece of the Roman soldier that protected the head. Romans 12 speaks of the essential place of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as I was telling the, the prayer team earlier this morning, this next verse, this next verse this last week was one that I ran to about a billion times, it seemed like. 2 Corinthians 10.5 speaks of the importance of casting down arguments and every high and lofty thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What you and I choose to meditate on matters, church. What we choose to meditate on, it matters. If you and I are constantly filling our mind with the garbage of this world, what do you think is going to be present in the middle of our anxiety and depression? What do you think is going to be present in the middle of our despair? No hope of the future. 
the things of this world. The things of this world. But it says that the Lord, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. I want you to keep reading with me. It says next that he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So church, the third thing I want you to see here is the Lord leads us. The Lord leads us. As a shepherd, the Lord leads our path. God doesn't just say to us, go this way, do this thing, and then leave us to figure it out in this life. Because man, how many of you know, if he left us to figure it out, we would go our own way. Right? Like I said last week, right? Many of us have the thought, I did it my way. Right? Frank Sinatra. We're going to walk into the gates of heaven and we're going to be like, God, I got here because I did it my way. No, 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 no. God leads us. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us in paths of righteousness. The leadership of the shepherd in your life it doesn't only comfort and restore the believer, but he guides his sheep into righteousness. He guides them, meaning that God's leadership and his guidance has a moral aspect to it, one that we often overlook. The next is that the Lord restores us. The Lord restores us. And he restores my soul. Man, what an amazing phrase is it not church i want you to let that soak in for a moment the lord restores your soul i have a question do you feel broken this morning do you feel broken this morning the lord repairs you do you feel hurt in some way this morning the lord heals you do you feel dirty this morning? The Lord makes you clean. Do you feel guilty today? The Lord forgives you. Did, did you notice here in the text that it is the shepherd who does all of these things? He makes you. He leads you. He restores you. All of these things, he is the one that is doing them. Isn't it good to know that in the midst of your difficulty, it is not your ability that gets you through, it's God's. It's God's ability. And when you walk through difficulty, you do not have to rely upon your strength. The grace of your shepherd gets you through, and it says he does this for his namesake. He gets you through. And man, we could talk about that all day long. And I know I've said that a bazillion times since being here. But do we get the picture yet? Do we get the picture that God has bound up the glory and the honor of his name by showing himself to us in all of these different ways? In the, in the not too distant future, I'd like to walk us through a series called The Names of God. The Names of God. Do you know what names of God we find here in these six little verses? The first is the name Jehovah Jireh, which means that he is a God who shows himself 
as our provider. The next we see the name Jehovah Shalom, which means he is committed to showing himself as peace in our life. But one of my favorite names of God that we see here in the text is Jehovah Rapha. Healer and restorer God. Jehovah Rapha. I don't know about you, but in my young 33 years of life, I have found that the Lord will be true to his names. Particularly in some of the hardest times in this life. Look with me at verse number four. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For the first time in these six verses, there is a dark note here in the midst of a beautiful psalm. You know, David wrote previously of green pastures and still waters and paths of righteousness. Yet when following the Lord as shepherd, one may still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. But David says, I will fear no evil. Why? Why can David say, I will fear no evil? He says, for you are with me. The presence of God, you are with me. And so the fifth thing I want us to see that the shepherd does is he removes our fear. He removes our fear. But how? How does he remove our fear with his presence? The, the presence of the shepherd eliminates the fear of evil for the sheep. No matter my present or your present or David's present environment, he could look at the fact that God's shepherd-like presence was present, and he knows you are with me, and because you are with me, I will fear no evil. God does not ever, ever, ever leave you and I alone. Amen, church? Do you notice the shift here in this one verse? Up until this point in the text, David has been talking about the Lord as his shepherd. But in verse number four, he begins to directly speak to the shepherd. Did you see it? Instead of saying, he does this and he does that for the first time, he says, I will fear no evil, God, because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You know, David could have said, God is with me. David could have said, God's rod and God's staff, they comfort me. But that's not what he said. David changed what he was speaking and he began to directly talk to God. A beautiful picture of, of prayer in communion with our rescuer, with our Savior. And I believe that David is expressing what every single one of us in here knows to be true and has felt that it's easy to talk about God when we're walking in green pastures. It's easy to talk about God when we're led beside quiet waters. But what happens when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death? What happens when we are in the middle of darkness? Well, it's less talking about God and more crying out to Him. It is not just a need for truth 
about God. Man, there was a time in, in this life, in ministry for me, where I'm going to tell you guys something right now of what not to do in the midst of somebody's pain. Just hear me out for a minute. I used to be the, the pastor that somebody would lose a loved one or they would get a really terrible medical diagnosis and I would immediately run to Romans 8.28. God will work together all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? That's a verse we all know and we love to quote oftentimes out of context. That's the worst thing that you can do to somebody in the midst of their pain. Yes, that person needs to know the truth of God's word. Yes, don't negate the truth of God's word, but that person needs the comfort and the peace of God. They need the comfort and the peace. And, and so, pastor, why are you saying this to us? Well, I'm saying this to you, one, to give you a tip. When somebody's walking through somebody, uh, through something, don't just beat them down with scripture because that's not what they need. But I'm also saying this to you because, yes, it is a need to know the truth of God. But it's a need to receive help from God as well in that situation. To, to reflect upon the promise of God to help you in the midst of your pain. Why? Because the shepherd never leaves the sheep alone. David said, I, I, I know that my shepherd is with me, and because of that, I have nothing to fear. And when you know that the Lord is with you in the moments of your pain and your weakness, that your shepherd is surrounding you, you and I have nothing to fear. Not even death should cause us to fear, which I'm going to come back to here in just a moment at the end. So I want us to keep going. I want you to look at the sixth thing that the shepherd does for us. His provision, it says that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. And so the sixth thing is that the Lord comforts us. This is a picture of God's guidance and his protection and discipline, and that is a part of God's comfort. Not many of us want to say amen to the, the discipline of God in our lives. But it is a part of God's comfort. It's what keeps us safe even when we're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. The, the rod and the staff were instruments used by the shepherd. The, the idea is a sturdy walking stick that's used gently to guide the sheep and protect them from potential predators. Do you know the crook of a shepherd was also used to break the leg of the sheep that wandered away? His correction. The shepherd would use the crook on the sheep that continuously wandered away and he would break their leg and then he would carry that sheep over his shoulders. He would mend it. He would spend time with it. He would nurture it. And oftentimes that sheep never left his side after it. The Lord comforts you and I. It's a great comfort to know that God will correct us even in the midst of our pain and suffering because he knows that we need it. But then the image yet again shifts 
here in the text in verse number 5. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. How awesome is that? I mean, the Lord, the seventh thing that the Lord does for us is the Lord gives honor to us as esteemed guests. As your shepherd, the Lord honors you. And without departing from the previous picture of the valley of the shadow of death, David begins to envision a provision and a a goodness given by the Lord as a gracious host, inviting his, his sheep in to a rich table that he's prepared for them. The Lord doesn't just sustain you and I enough so that we can barely get by. He satisfies you and I. He satisfies us. And he honors you and I by anointing our head with oil so that our cup is overflowing. Amen? Man, the picture that David puts out here is one of being an honored guest at the table of God. Cup overflowing. He gives honor to you. Even when you and I are surrounded by those who are against us. And then David closes out with probably one of the most beautiful promises found here in the text. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the last thing I want us to see is that the Lord pursues us. The Lord pursues us. He pursues each and every one of us with love and goodness and mercy. We we hear that term follow in the text. And it can be a little misleading to us, right? Because we might get the picture that the Lord is somehow lagging along behind us, right? Like if you're following somebody, you kind of want to stay behind them. And like you don't want to appear to be creepy, right? Have you ever had to follow somebody in a store or, right, you, you, wanna, you don't want to be creepy, especially if you're, you're driving in cars and you don't know the other person and you keep making the same turns that the other person in front of you does, right? You want to keep a little distance between you and the other person when you've had to follow them. Or, or maybe you're playing outside with your kids or your grandkids and you tell them it's time to go in. Right? You tell them that they need to follow you to come inside, and, and it's slow getting those children to come inside. At least it is with ours. Right? I, I think that's how we often think about God's love in our life, that it kind of lags behind us. Right? That he's here with us, but maybe he's a couple of steps behind me. Sometimes... God's a little hard to see, right? But that's not the imagery here that David gives. The word follow is an active, all-out pursuit of David. You know, the first time I met my wife, we were seniors in high school, and the circumstance and how we met, she had just moved in from a new school, and she had started a few days late. And I had enough credits to graduate, but I didn't want to skip out on my last year of high school. And so I decided I was going to become a teaching assistant. And I was going to tutor and mentor students uh, that struggled educationally. And my wife transferred in from the school where she was coming from. 
and they lost her school records. And so temporarily they placed her into one of those remedial classes in which I was a teaching assistant. And that's how we met. The first time I remember making eye contact with her as she walked through the doors of the class. And I I can't uh, unfortunately tell you what my initial thought was because it would be inappropriate. Um, I didn't ask you to start thinking about it. Um, I just said that I couldn't share. But I remember she walked into the classroom looking like she was having the worst day. It was a sixth period, sixth period class. We were at the end of the day. And she walked in like she was having the worst day of her life. And I was like, I'm going to be really nice because that's the kind of person that I am. And I'm like, hi, my name is Josh. And she totally shot me down hard, shot me down hard. She gave me the look like if looks could kill, I would have killed you, brought you back to life and killed you again. That's what she, right? And so I never even got a name, never even got a name. She came back into class the second day. She tries to make amends. At that point, I'm like, I was chopped liver yesterday, and now what? You want to be my best friend? Like, I don't. She tells me her name. And from that moment forward, in my head, I said, I'm going to pursue her. I'm going to pursue her. And there were obstacles in my way, most, most notably another guy. But there were obstacles in my way, but that was not going to stop me from pursuing her. She became my best friend in high school. We were inseparable. We did everything together. We talked all hours of the night. I was in an active all-out pursuit, not lagging behind her. I was forging ahead, even though there were obstacles in my way. And when she finally turned from that individual who was a detriment to her, he was abusive. I was going to be right there. I was going to be right there waiting waiting for her no matter how long it took they broke up on february 14th of 2007 we started dating june 11th of the same year i waited for the rest of february all of march all of april all of may and into june to be with her in in this psalm right here David is saying, that's what God's love is like in your life. Active, all-out pursuit. No obstacle is going to stop him from forging forward. Nothing is going to keep him from being right there waiting for you and I. Not lagging behind you ready to overtake you. 
wherever you are, His love is pursuing you. And when you and I wake up tomorrow morning, Christian in here, regular attender, family member, friend, when you wake up tomorrow, know that His love is pursuing you. When, when you get up in the morning, let your first thought be like, I need to shut off that alarm clock. And let your second one be this, that the God of the universe is pursuing me. And it will change your day drastically if you walk in that. It will change it completely. And then when you walk away and walk through every moment that you're going to face, you know that you can never get away from the goodness and the mercy of God in this life. Isn't it really good news that when you and I sin, and when you and I wander away from the shepherd, isn't it good news to know that he still pursues you? He still pursues you with his goodness and his mercy. Or what about when we doubt something that God's doing? I just told the prayer team this morning, I felt more often in the last seven days like, God, where are you? Why are you not showing up yet? Why have you not given me the answers that I so desperately long for? And in my moments of doubt, we can still know that God pursues us with his mercy and his goodness. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm assuming right now, statistically, that in a gathering this size, that there are probably some people in here, if we were honest, are distant from God right now. Maybe you've been wandering. Maybe you're having a hard time trusting God in the midst of your situation. I want you to know right now that based upon His Word, that God brought you this morning to worship with us. He brought you here today to hear so that you would hear that he loves you. He brought you here today so that you would know that his goodness and mercy can be yours. Guess what, church? We don't deserve that. But that's the whole point. It's mercy. It's an undeserved gift. You and I can be guaranteed eternal life by having faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as your shepherd, he guarantees your eternity forever in his house. There's so much in these six little verses. But I want to just summarize this as we begin to land the plane. We don't deserve this kind of relationship with God as our shepherd. None of us do. We've all sinned against God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own ways, as the Bible tells us in, in the book of Isaiah. We deserve God's judgment, not God's mercy. But in the good news of the Bible, God has been true to his word. 
to his promise of salvation and to love you and I as a shepherd. So much so that God came to us through his son. And I want you to grasp a very familiar portion of scripture in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And do you know what the good shepherd does? He lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. Man, does that, does that remind you of Psalm chapter 23? Jesus says, I'm that shepherd. That's me. God came to us in the flesh. He came to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. And that's why he died on the cross. He laid down his life so that we could be restored to a relationship with God as our shepherd. Jesus came to make Psalm 23 a reality for you and for me. Do you know there's nothing more important in this life than to know the Lord as your shepherd? I mentioned Casey earlier, the friend of ours at our church in Florida who had cancer, journaling just days before he died. I have such peace. Psalm 23 sums it up. I remember myself and the other pastors on staff at our church were going to visit him in his hospital room. And I remember we showed up to the hospital and we began, we began to walk to the, the elevator. And there was a time in my life where I could not even stand to get on an elevator because of, of claustrophobia and anxiety. And I remember that day, it was a very high anxiety day, and so I decided to take the stairs. And I was going to meet him on the third level of the hospital. And I remember walking up those stairs, and it was quiet, nobody was around me. And I remember out loud saying, God, I don't even know what to say. We're about to walk into a man's room who is days away from dying, moments, minutes, hours away from dying, and I don't even know what to say. God, what do you even say in a situation like this? I'm sorry. I wish this wasn't happening. We all met at the top of the hallway, and we go to walk into Casey's hospital room, and we were all met with a surprise when we walked in. No, Casey was not cured of cancer. We were met with a man sitting on his bed, literally in the valley of the shadow of death, and he had a smile on his face. We walked into that hospital room, and Casey looked at us, and he lit up, and he pointed up to the heavens, and he said, I'm going to be with Jesus today. And suddenly, I'm sorry, didn't feel appropriate anymore. And suddenly, I, I wish it, this wasn't happening, didn't feel appropriate anymore. And I found myself thinking, I wish I was going with you, buddy. I wish I was going with you. And, it, and that's the, the point. 
when the Lord is your shepherd, you have nothing to fear. Even the worst possible things could happen to you in death itself. And it has now become one of the best things that could happen to the believer. The Bible describes that in Revelation chapter 7. For the Lamb, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. Where God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there will be no more death. And neither sorrow or crying. And no more pain. Because all of the former things will have been passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. I want to ask you right now. Right where you are sitting in this moment, if you would please bow your heads with me. Eyes closed, please be considerate of the people around you. Do you know Jesus as your shepherd? Can you say with joy in your heart right now, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I know him, he is mine. In your heart right now, can you say that? Because if your heart does not resound in that way, then I want to invite you right now to put your trust in him as the shepherd. Pray right now, sitting in your seat. Say, God, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I've strayed from you. But I believe that your son died on the cross for me. That I believe that he was buried and that three days later he was rose from the dead by the power of God. Tell him that you put your trust in him. Tell him to forgive you or ask, ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Ask to have your relationship restored so that he can be your shepherd. Why? So that you might know all of the things that Psalm 23 said and you can have them in your life. That you can dwell in his house forever. If you're here this morning, I don't want you to leave this place without knowing the kind of confidence that Casey had. similar to that with our heads bowed and our eyes still closed can, can I invite you to do something this morning if you said yes I'm going to trust in Jesus as my shepherd to restore me and to reconcile me would you just lift up your hand would you just lift it up you're saying I'm trusting in Jesus Today, I don't want to live my life any longer without him as my shepherd. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yes, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. 
God, I, I praise you. I praise you in this place, God, for your goodness and your mercy. And in how you've brought people today to be encouraged in all different kinds of ways. But God, I, I particularly praise you right now for those who just raised their hand. Who just made a profession saying, I want God to be my shepherd. God, I, I pray. I pray that you would just give each one of us the courage to profess publicly. For all of us who, who know you as shepherd, that we would say today that we believe Psalm 23. That we, we could say in our hearts when we walk away from here today that you are our shepherd. That we are so glad that you guide us and you comfort us and you remove our fears and you strengthen us and that you bring us safely into eternity with you. God, we thank you for those things. We love you. God, our shepherd. Give us boldness and strength as we go from here and I ask and pray these things now and in Jesus precious and holy name amen and amen and amen